0: This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for over a decade since they supplied the uniforms for Anaheim Fire when I worked out in California. And they have partnered with the Behind the Shield podcast to offer you, the listener, 15% off not just a single purchase, but an ongoing discount every time you shop at 511tactical.com. And I will give you the discount code in a moment. I just want to go on a kind of product focus for a second. In episode 125 of Behind the Shield podcast, I spoke to podiatrist Dr. Mike Donato, um, and we discussed a concern that I've had, which is the footwear uh, for first responders. If you're a firefighter, obviously, if we're doing an extrication, if we're fighting fire, our bunker boots are definitely the best things. They offer a high level of protection. But the day-to-day calls, the EMS calls, all those kind of areas... They are absolutely overkill, some of the boots that we are being given. And I wanted to find a kind of happy medium between protection and comfort as a lot of these heavy, heavy boots are causing uh, overuse injuries, knee pain, ankle pain, back pain. And 5.11 Tactical has come up with a shoe called the Norris Sneaker. Now, this has the feel literally of, of a skate shoe. It's incredibly comfortable. It has puncture protection on the bottom, it has the toe protection on the front, but they've taken a lot of the weight away and made it far more comfortable. I think many of us will admit that as an alternative to duty boots, we turn to sneakers, which are also very comfortable, really don't offer any protection. So this is a great happy medium between the two if you want to see this as i said it's called the norris n-o-r-r-i-s sneaker go to 511 tactical and that discount code that i was talking about is shield 15 s-h-i-e-l-d one five that will be applicable for all of your purchases the only time that's not going to work is when they have an additional sale that's actually going to be higher so if they're offering a 20 percent or 25 percent off obviously that 15 is going to be invalid because you're going to get even more off So for the Norris sneaker and all the other things that I'm going to showcase that I personally use, I'm not going to start talking about things that I don't use, but the products of theirs that I think are amazing, um, go to 5.11 Tactical, put in Shield 15 and save 15% every single time. Welcome to episode 246 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and I'm very excited to bring to you this week world champion powerlifter, uh, fellow Brit and entrepreneur, AJ Roberts. So in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics from his early life in England, how he came over to America, um, how he became one of the most elite power lifters in the country, but then how he discovered that he was trading his health for his elite performance. So his journey back towards health and then more recently his journey into the business side and sales. So before we get to the episode, just take a moment and go to the podcast app, rate the show, subscribe to the show, and then most importantly, take social media or word of mouth and share the show. We're coming up to 250 episodes. That's so much information that I'm trying to get to every single person that needs to hear it, and you guys are the key. So by you sharing these, you're making this project grow and getting this sometimes life saving information to the people that need to hear it. So with that being said, I introduce to you. AJ Roberts, enjoy. So AJ, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Even though it was after a very brief Instagram um, conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Brilliant. So where are we finding you on planet Earth today?
1: Yeah, so I'm here in San Diego. Um, Beautiful as always. Uh, Never gets below 70, it seems. Right right now we're having a bit of a heat wave. Um, So it's kind of nice.
0: Excellent. Now, obviously, people listening from your accent, they can tell that's not where you were born. So I'd love to start at the beginning. Where were you born and what was your family unit like?
1: Yeah, yeah. I grew up in uh, Southampton, England. Um, And I have a younger brother, younger sister, and then uh, my parents. And, um, you know, growing up, I was uh, always fascinated with America. Um, I, I got into basketball at a young age. I had cousins, uh, family who live in Kansas, and cousins who played collegiate basketball. Um, and they introduced it to me when I was young. I think I was about eight years of age. And so I was always into kind of American sports and would watch the TV shows and things like that. And knew I wanted to come over here. And um, so when I turned 16 and, and finished school in England, uh, that's when I made the trek across the pond.
0: Right. Now, before we get to, to your training, what did your parents do?
1: Uh, so my, growing up, my dad was actually, um, he worked at a print shop and he was the guy that would do all the layouts and, um, you know, d- map all the magazines and, and the, and the design. So I got a lot of exposure early into that world. Um, and then my mom was, uh, kind of a stay at home mom for the majority of the time. She worked some odd jobs here and there. Um, and now she's a, an emotional strength coach after, after we grew up, she got into, um, parenting, uh, I'm not sure the correct terms for it, but essentially, she ended up getting her um, degrees and is now an emotional strength coach.
0: Fantastic! All right, so the, so the very first thing I want to explore is: I went to school in Bath. I grew up there, and I didn't come to America until my late twenties. Um, and there was a guy called Jesse that we, you know, was, was in our friends group, and he got into American football. So we used to play it all the time up on the, you know, the concrete tennis courts that we have in the <laughs> English schools. You know. Um, and you know it was great, but his goal was to come here and be a quarterback. But obviously, back then, and, and I'm 45 now, so I'm probably a little bit older than you. But there wasn't that framework for an English kid to really get good at an American sport. You know, with, with the kind of comparison to how they coach here. So, how did you, living in England, get to the point where you could get a scholarship in a US school that you were that good?
1: Yeah, so I stumbled across uh, an academy called Jeannie Ashes uh, School of Basketball, and she was a a British coach that had spent some time in the States and had built a relationship uh, with several schools over here. And so I think I was about 12, maybe, maybe a little bit older. Uh, when I first came over, I went to Plainfields, Indiana. Uh, we came over for a summer tour, and, and we played against the, the American uh, high school teams. Um, and many of the players from the academy had, uh, you know, come over on scholarships or gone to college and those kind of things. Um, nobody had kind of gone over in high school, and so... At 14, I knew I wanted to come to the States. I asked my parents, hey, you know, can I move? And, of course, they promptly shut that down. Um, but at 16, you know, we graduate school in England, and, and then we get to kind of go to work or go on to college, whatever you choose. And, you know, m- my thing was I want to go to the States. And so there was um, the international, foreign exchange program um, that I found um, and allowed, you know, it, kids to, to go you know, anywhere in the world, basically. And of course, for me, I wanted to go to America. And so they, they plant you with a family. Um, and un, un, unbeknownst to myself, um, the basketball coach got a hold of my profile. He saw that I played for England and uh, was a, a high-level player. And so he took my you know, my student profile and went and found a family for me to stay with. And uh, I didn't know anything about this until my senior year. I played played basketball um, and I was actually a three-sport athlete because um, the town I ended up with, I went from a town of 2 million in England to a town of 150 um, in, in Ion, Oregon, and ended up playing all sports as most kids, you know, pretty much everyone in the high school was, was a three-sport athlete. But um, with the basketball, uh, of course, there's this kid out of nowhere all of a sudden at this small school that was, was fairly good. And uh, my senior year, I got banned from playing high school sports, um, for recruit, recruiting issue. Um, and of course I had no idea about this and so decided to fight it. And and the family, I ended up staying with a different family my senior year and, uh, uh, turned out that I was actually recruited. And so I wasn't able to play high school sports my senior year. And that led me into, you know, getting into weightlifting and powerlifting and competing, uh, in that because it was something I could compete in that wasn't sanctioned by the school body.
0: Right. Now, educational-wise, what was it like going from our system back home immediately into the American education system?
1: Uh, For me, it was really easy. I I found that the schooling system over here, um, and I I went on and went to college and and have a degree, um, but I found that the schooling system over here was very, very simple, um, and it wasn't that difficult. What was strange was, uh, more than anything, was just the social dynamics uh, because of, you know, over here – People go to school until they're 18 before they kind of get the freedom to to make a choice. 18, 19, you know, things I'd been doing uh, growing up, um, you know, and as a child and the expectations and you know things like that. The way you're treated, like it was very different over here. Um, You were treated as a kid, which you were. You're 16, 17, 18. You are still a kid, but of course, it's a little bit different in England. And so that was took some getting used to, you know, uh, having to ask permission to go do things versus just saying, "Hey, I'm going to go do this or that," um, you know, being being told no or having a curfew, and because it's a school night, you know, when you know, like I said, in England you would have had the freedom, um, so it was just different in that aspect. Um, school itself was fun. Uh, actually, we only the school I was at it was a four four day a week school, so we had Fridays off, and that was because Fridays was for sports, and and so you'd be traveling and going to the different games, and because of the size of the school, there was no point in having classes. So we had a four-day week, which you know meant we were almost a year-round school, which was fine by me because I never liked taking the time off in the summers. I always forget everything. Um, so, so it was a good setup, and uh, you know it was a tight-knit community, um, a lot of fun. Um, but of course, you know a lot of eyes on you and a lot of expectations from parents and things like that. So that that's what it took most getting used to. Um, but I but I felt like I've always been a driven person um and i I was very focused on what I wanted to achieve, and so i i you know i I stuck to what I was doing and seemed to do pretty good. There was a few hiccups here and there, like I said, because of those expectations and you know I was drinking it i i think out of the bottle in England um you know <laughs> used to the the pub culture and things like that and and you know kids over in america weren't um so that took a little bit of getting used to you know I was a little bit of a party animal, but um I got in trouble for that but i I realized pretty quick what needed to be done in order to not not get kicked out or or sent sent home and so I obliged and uh, managed to make it through, you know, without too much trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember coming to the States the first year uh, working on the summer camps and I was 20 and going to the pub and getting ID'd. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean ID'd? I'm 20. And uh, yeah, very, very different here. Um, okay, so what I really want to explore there just for a second is, so there you are, you're in England, um, you know, you're A, you're choosing a sport that, you know, isn't rammed down your throat, as you and I both know football You know, you're, you're almost crazy if you don't have a team and ready to to die over it. Um, but what gave you that, that, um, that discipline to not only excel at, you know, that sport where there wasn't academies everywhere. Um, but then to the point where you're willing to move to a different country and then, and then keep, as you said, adapt and overcome to the new rules and philosophies and keep pushing. Um, and then even obviously, as we were going to talk about, then transferring to, to powerlifting, what was that burning desire or that why in you at that age?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I can. I've been ever able to figure this out. I'm a very obsessive person, um, and I'm also a, a person who uh, you know seems to have no problem with delayed gratification, um, and so you know for me, I'm always. I always think long term you know, big picture, long term, um, set a goal and, and go after the goal and, and ruthlessly committed until I reached that goal. You know, as a kid, I had no awareness of that. I, it was something I just did it inherently, I believe. But, uh, you know, I grew up watching, you know, is the era of Chicago Bulls and, and Michael Jordan and the legacy era. And so, um, you know, we only had five channels at home and I would watch the, I think channel four played the games at like midnight or whatever. And I'd set up the video player, we'd record them and I, I would watch the games and study the footage. And you know i was just obsessed with the with the basketball and the culture and it was about the same time. Um, a few years later, we 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 got cable, and and we had MTV, and um, they'd have MTV Cribs on, it and I'd see these homes of these professional athletes, and you know, for me, that was the model of success, and and I'm not sure why I never really got into football. I, I don't know if it was just one of those things where everybody was doing it, and I kind of I tend to zig when everyone zags, um, but it was something I was good at, and you know, that I saw lots of mini success along the way, um, you know, from from being Player of the Year or Most Improved, and and things like that, and. You know, getting uh, selected for, in- for the England squad, um, which I was promptly cut from because I was too short. But, uh, you know, playing alongside players who are now in the NBA and things like that—it's just one of those series of events. And I remember I, I was also into BMX as a kid and, um, you know, back into it now. But, um, you know, my-, my dad came and watched me compete in a competition, a BMX competition. And, you know, he said to me, hey, you're going to have to make a choice. You know, like you- you're not going to be good at two different sports. They're totally different things. So I, I don't care which it is. Just pick one, you know. And a lot of that was to do with, with funds and, um, you know, our lack of ability to be able to afford these different things. But, um, you know, I'd pick basketball because, you know, at the time X Games was just getting started. There was, you know, there was really no money in the BMX community that I could see. Um, and so, you know, I thought, you know, be successful. You have to make a lot of money, live in a big house, you know, be a professional athlete. And that just kind of, you know, laid the groundwork for me to, to, to show up and compete. And I remember, um, you know, my cousin started playing basketball about the same time as me and one day, you know, um, I'm not sure if my parents were, were driving us or Anyway, we went to pick him up Paul to leave and uh, he wasn't wearing he was wearing like a teenage mutant ninja turtle t-shirt. Um and he like refused to leave in that t-shirt. He wanted to change. I think he was going to be embarrassed or something like that cuz I have no idea what was going through his head, but th- there was a massive argument ensued between him and his mother and basically it was like if you don't go now in what you're wearing, then you'll you'll never go again. And you know, he chose to to never go again. And I remember that moment I was like I'm so confused by this like why would you do that who gives a shit about your t-shirt? Like let's go play. Um, um and you know it's just one of those things that like i said i, I think i've experienced lots of mini success and i could you know it built that momentum um and i think that that's a big thing you know carried over into powerlifting and things like that is is when i I seem to be pretty good at spotting when something is going favorably versus when something is not. Um I have no qualms of you know quitting on things that that just you know aren't going anywhere um and make strategic decisions. you know like, okay, th- this is effortless. this is you know inflow. this moves forward pretty easy. Like this is the path of least resistance, right? Um and, and basketball was one of those things. Um, I always seemed to with with soccer or football. You know, I always struggled. Um, I never seemed to be that good at it. I didn't quite get the game. I love watching it. Um, but it was just never something that I I got into. Basketball I picked up very fast. I was very good at you know had a lot of success and, and that kind of you know as a kid, I think you feed off of that right. And I happen to be on winning teams and things like that. And so it just builds that momentum up and and kind of you know pushes you forward and and you know whether it's you know, false hope or whatever it is, you know, you know, truth comes out eventually, but, um, it definitely got me to, to America, which then led me to the next, you know,
0: phase of my life. Brilliant. Right. Well, speaking of that phase, so, so I'm intrigued just from, from body type, body size. I was a very small kid. Even now, as we're talking, I'm 170 pounds and six foot tall. So I'm pretty, pretty slender. Um, you were 170 when when you moved to the U S, um, tell me about the, you know, the body changes you had when you started powerlifting.
1: Yeah, so immediately when I came over, you know, um, the the first sport of the season, so to speak, uh, is is American football, and uh, the first day of practice, I was I was like a, a week or two late to come over, um, beginning of the year, um, so and practice for sports started early before school started, um, and so. Went to football practice, you know, and I wasn't allowed to pad up. They had some they had some rule that you have to practice so many days. I think it's ten days or something before you can put pads on, um, in high school. So, you know, not being one to be held back by that, you know, I was practicing padless uh, against the team, and we were running drills, and um, you know, I just started tackling different folks. Um, of course, I used to rugby, and 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 you know, not being padded up, it wasn't you know, it was nothing for me to do that. But the coach, um, who was also the strength and conditioning coach of the school, um, he, you know, he pulled me aside and was like, man, you're going to be a great player. You know, we got to put some, some meat on your bones. And so, you know, that kind of introduced me into the, the weightlifting side. And then, you know, because of being smaller and, and wanting to get bigger, I could see the different athletes on the team and, and where they were and the strength. And, um, when we got in the weight room, it was another place to be competitive. And for me, uh, you know, I wanted to have the records. I wanted to to own those records, and and you know, by the end of the, my senior year, when I graduated, I had every single record you could imagine. Uh, I either owned it outright or shared it with with another uh, athlete. It was very, very strong. Um, but, but that was kind of the beginning of that. And, you know, I was always I'd always been into strength and conditioning. Um, grew up watching world's strongest man on T V in England. Um and always thought maybe one day I would compete in it, you know. Um and so this was like that you know, that that love and and, you know, seeing that growing up but kind of all of a sudden it all coming together. And like I said, I'm an obsessive person and so um there was the, the strength coach, the football coach had this magazine called Bigger, Faster, Stronger put out by Dr. Greg Shepherd. Um and it was basically, you know, Case studies from around the country of different athletes, different schools, the programs they were doing, but they all followed this bigger, faster, stronger system, you know, of box squats and chains and those kind of things, um, which was kind of the, the earliest introduction I had to the Westside Barbell Method. But, of course, at the time, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know who the Sims was. It was never talked about. So we were doing those kind of exercises in school. Um, and, you know, I read, I think he probably had four or five years worth of subscription to the magazine. I read every single one of those, convinced him to buy the software that like created the programs for you. Um, and so I was really invested into that. And, um, you know, that's kind of just led me on that path. But it wasn't until college that I really started to pack on the weight. I didn't really understand, you know, eating and those kind of things. And in college, I began training with a guy named Brent Mike Sell. I think I was about 200 pounds when I went to college. So I put on about 30 pounds in two years in high school. But, you know, teenager, those kind of things, like it's not, that's not that, you know, phenomenal. Um, in college, my freshman year, uh, I started training with, with Brent Mike Zell. And he said, I, you know, you're going to have to gain some serious weight. You're probably going to want to be 300 plus pounds, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I, w- I was living on campus and uh, had a food card. And, and that gave us access to the food hall. And the food hall was open for two hours, uh, three times a day. So... I figured out that I could go at the beginning of the hour, could hang around for till the top of the hour, and then I could, you know, wait around to the end of the hour and I could eat three times in two hours. And so over the course of uh, my freshman year, I put on 60 pounds, uh, eating about nine times a day, you know, and at the time I had no idea about nutrition or anything like that. So I mean, I was eating burgers, fries pizza whatever I could you know force down and I drink milk and then we would sit there and and let it digest for the hour and then repeat Um, and so that was my my first real push to gain weight Um, you know so in a course of three years I guess I put on a you know put on you know 90 pounds um, and that was the beginning of of, of the 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 growth
0: (laughs) now now in college you were also in the powerlifting specifically as your scholarship
1: no, so actually, it was, it's it's a funny story. Um, I was dating a girl at the time, and she was. Uh, I was supposed to go to a small school and play, um, football, like an academic scholarship. And uh, I actually decided I wasn't going to stay in America. I was going to move back to England after high school, and so I kind of like let that opportunity pass me by. My parents came over for graduation, uh, fell in love with, with the with America, and said they wanted to move here, and they applied for the green card lottery, um, and so me thinking ahead was like, okay, well, if they're going to move here in the next year, you know, I don't want to go back to England, waste a year and, and not know what I'm doing. I might as well just go on to college. And I was kind of dating a girl at the time. And, um, you know, so when they made that decision, I, you know, there was only a few months, uh, it was the, the only the summer months left because this is a graduation. So I scrambled and basically decided to go to the same college as her, which was University of Idaho, um, and decided I would try to walk on the football team. And uh, so, because of my lack of knowledge of of the legal process, um, you know, I go to college. I go to go through NCA house and uh, I don't have the right paperwork um, you know I have a visa but I don't have what was called an I-9 form which is what allows you actually to be in the country the visa is just to get you in and out of the country <laughs> so, wants to stay <laughs> the, yeah so the, the paperwork was missing and so I was actually you know technically not supposed to be here and um, the NCAA clearinghouse, of course said no you can't play um, and I, you know I had to come back to England uh, in, in the Christmas break and get care of that but by the time I came back and everything was taken care of the the coach at the time um, moved on to the NFL and we didn't have a coach and so you know when the new coach came in he said you know walk-ons have to try out again you know and so what I did during all of this I, I volunteered in the weight room so I could be around the team right so I get to know the players I could train um, because I wasn't allowed to to be a practice I wasn't allowed to do these things based on the NCAA ruling um, and so by the time I was eligible to play I'd already started competing in powerlifting at a higher level now, training with the world record holder, Brent, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so I just kind of like looked at like, okay, what's my future here? And I realized like, hey, you've only played a couple years of football. You know, going to the NFL is probably, you know, you'll be able to play D1 college for sure. Um, but going to the NFL is, is probably pretty slim. Um, so what, what's the career path here? You know, and at the time... Even though I was told by Brent and my other training partners, hey, there's no money in powerlifting, uh, you know, it, you're, you're, you can be the best in the world and, and that's not what's going to pay the bills. I kind of had this grandiose. The WPO was the Arnold Classic and I'd seen the videos and it, was, it just looked phenomenal. And so I just kind of had this thought, oh, this money's going to come and it's going to blow up. And, you know, if I could do this and, you know, and make a career out of it, then, then that's what I'm going to do. And, and so I did. And, and um, you know, that, that's kind of I made that decision and continued to volunteer in the, in the weight room. I get my degree. And. In, in coaching with the emphasis, strength and conditioning and, um, you know, and, and and carry on down that path.
0: Right. Now you mentioned about training in high school, just a, a tangent for a moment. So when I first came to America about 15, 16 years ago, I noticed that there was this reoccurring theme of men, um, predominantly men my age, that told me how they would have been the next pitcher they would have been the next great quarterback had they not torn their ACL their MCL you know whatever it was um but these were all injuries at like the 17 18 year old age and i was you know cast my mind back to higher level high school athletics back home and you just didn't see broken men coming out of uh, out of school so when when you came in and and now obviously with your you know knowledge of training and injury prevention Um, You know, is there is there an element of of some places pushing these kids to get you know strong or even big past the point where it's healthy?
1: I think that the the unfortunate thing is 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 you don't know what you don't know, and you know, high school coaches typically, especially when you look at the the diversity, right? So so this is generalization, and of course, there is you know outliers on both ends of the spectrum, but. Ultimately, you know, they're not doing anything they know is going to hurt the players, right? Um, and when I, when you're in that world, and I remember being an athlete in high school, like, that's, that's your entire world, right? That's all, like, you don't even have to think about anything else. And so, you know, you go play a bigger school and you get beat up because the linemen are, are 20 pounds heavier than you. You know, you're you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get our line heavier? You know, like as a team, like not just the coaches, not just from the coaches. Of course, the coaches, a lot of them are either ex-athletes themselves, or you know, living by you know, no, living through you, so to speak. Like they're reliving their well, their hopes and their dreams, right? And so the focus is very, very narrow. And like I said, I don't think it's a conscious awareness. Like I don't think they really understand the danger that they may be putting people in or, or pushing kids. Um, and kids don't have the awareness either that they're like this isn't the rest of their life. Life, you know um, and so they're willing to do stuff and so I remember I sprained my ankle in a game um, and it, it was very very bad and I couldn't walk on it and you know the next week I you know I couldn't practice and I, I think I practiced the day before the game um, and my coach wouldn't let me play and I was so angry so the next week what I did was taped the, the ankle as hard as I could made sure I practiced every day and I remember I was still in so much pain but I didn't you know didn't let it show because I wanted to play um and i played and i remember taking the tape off after that game and just my ankle just being swollen up i couldn't walk the next you know for the neck for the weekend or whatever and again that was me you know pushing myself and i think unfortunately that's kind of what you see when we live in a culture of competition especially especially for men um and we're seeing it, it increase ever more for women as well as things shift um when you live in that kind of culture you know competition is 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 seen as you know your self worth And, um, success is seen as winning. Um, and you know, when you're not doing those things or you, you, you're, you know, falling short and you can see the path, for example, the, one of the best schools we played football against. It um, was called Dufa, and um, those guys were huge, and they followed the Bigger, Faster, Stronger program, and, and those guys were all, you know, way bigger than us, and that's one of the reasons our coach believed we had to have strength and conditioning program um, involved, and actually, um, a few years later, after I had graduated, they, they cut the strength and conditioning um, funding, and the, the coach quit. Um, coaching because he could, he believed we couldn't win the championship without strength and conditioning, right? And I think that that, that goes on more, and, and it's not just in, in high school. It goes on in, at all levels of sport and competition, you know, and, and I experienced kind of that at Westside too, and kind of, you know, Louis is, is like any other coach where, you know, you're there to do a job, and when you're no longer doing your job, you're either not welcome or, you know, you're, you're pushed to the wayside. Um, and, and it's, you know, I can't look back and say anything was, was negative because it got me to where I am today. Um, but I definitely can see the culture and the overall um Push that—that that is given by by individuals themselves and by coaches, mentors, and those kind of things. And and you know a lot of it is based on these false beliefs of of what it means to be successful and and what it means to to be worthy and those kind of things. And so, um, in it, 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 in and of itself is is a dangerous path altogether. And I think it's why you see the push for kind of you know this win or, like everybody wins culture, um, which gets a, a negative rap, but ultimately you know sports. When you, when you pull out what is, what is sport and what is it supposed to be, it's, it's supposed to be fun. Um, it's supposed to be play. Um, and when you put structure and rules and, and all these things in place, you inevitably bring out some negatives. Um, and when you have someone like me who's super obsessed, you, know, you know, I end up pushing myself to, to almost death to to achieve a world record. Um, and like I said, I I don't have any regrets or anything like that. But it definitely wasn't you know healthy behavior, um, and it's definitely something I'll have to you know deal with for the rest of my life and, and the, the, the the consequences of that in terms of you know damage to my body and, and recovery and and things like that. So um, you know hopefully that answers the question in <laughs> that
0: way. No, it does absolutely, and and uh, you know what what I find interesting for me, like I I did. Um Sports science and exercise evaluation in in London, and then I did my degree here in um, in Florida, uh, exercise physiology. And I've been an athlete my whole life. And one of the reoccurring themes that I'm seeing is that we're actually realizing now that you know we we made a lot of mistakes. You know, I know a lot of the strength and conditioning was built you know for for for, um, athletics was focused on the bodybuilding movements, which was kind of creating some missing links. I know that even recently the CrossFit community realized we've made some mistakes with, with our, you know, movement prescription. And, um, it's just, it's fascinating now to see that the less is more is really starting to come in. And my, my community, the police and the fire and the tactical community, the same thing we, we would, we would respond regardless. And now we're looking back and realizing that we're losing our men and women through, you know, um, suicide and, and heart disease and cancer and a lot of that is sleep deprivation and overworking so it doesn't matter if it's powerlifting or high school athletics or mma you know the, we, i think our generation now is looking back and realizing that y- you know you can't you know, no pain no gain isn't always the answer that the rest and recovery component is hugely important for the longevity of an athlete
1: Oh, absolutely, and it goes beyond just you know sports or uh, fitness in general. You know, obviously, there's a difference between longevity and strength training, right? There's a different, and you know, being the strongest you could be or being the most athletic you can be. Like, is that beneficial for for lifespan? Um, and and when you look at that and what factors into that, you mentioned sleep. Like to me, you know, and my wife's a nutritionist, and we talk a lot about this. You can have everything on point, but if you ain't sleeping you know that it ruins everything it's it's a complete game changer and and, and it you know pours over into the business world too you know where you see you know the measure of success by how much money is in the bank account and and literally people you know in china are, are dropping dead from work um and these are the kind of things that need to be reevaluated and looked at and and you know i'm not one to shy away from hard work I'm not one to, to, to try to take shortcuts but you, you mentioned about recovery that is a, a such a critical component and that is, is so important with everything especially with the way the digital age is now you know you hear the term digital detox um, but taking time away taking time for yourself like all of these habits that you know society in general makes you feel guilty about you know um, you actually find that the most the most successful people are the ones who are, are doing that and then you know they're they're limiting their technology they're making sure they're getting sleep and the meditation and, you know, different things like, like uh, for, for recovery purposes. Um, and when you look at it, it's very fascinating and you go in, like our culture has really shifted what we, what is put on a pedestal, what is, is held up as, as success. Like when you try to live that, what you realize is typically, you know, whether it's a professional athlete, whether it's, you know, a, a super successful business owner, you know, you know, one of the top 10 richest men in the world or something like that, you start to see that, that there's a lot of toxic environment and a lot of, you know, uh, I guess uh, devastation in the path to, for them to get to that success. And I believe, you know, that it's because, you know, majority of the time in order to, to be the very best at anything, um, you have to be 100% committed to it. Um, and, and the problem with 100% commitment is that means a lot of sacrifice um, and, and a lot of uh, damage in the wake uh, in terms of relationships and in terms of health and in terms of things like that. And so, you know, you ha- you have to kind of figure out what it is you you want and what it is you're willing, you know, what are your boundaries? What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? And I think it's very important. I think most people, that's really what they don't know. You know, they don't know themselves. Not, they don't know what, what line they're willing to cross, what line they're not willing to cross. They don't know the boundaries they have. And so, you know, most people are walking around in a, in a state of, I guess, in a way, an illusion uh, of, of what would be possible. And I think when you have a professional career like you know, the the police or firefighters and things like that, like, you're not also going to be the strongest man in the world. You know, you're not, you're not also going to be able to build a side business that, that makes you millions of dollars. So it's that like you, you kind of have to know and you have to be like, who, who do I want to be and what, you know, and be okay with that. And I think we're seeing culture kind of move towards that. And I think it's, it's why we see, you know, such a disruption, um, in the workplace and, and millennials get a bad rap and, um, you know, in terms of like their work ethic and things like that, but the, but they they have a lot more figured out in terms of like enjoying life now versus delaying it for the next sixty years and and you know banking on the fact that they're going to have a retirement fund that could at any time be taken away. Um, and so we're in a very disruptive you know era in terms of society and and things like that. And um, it's quite fascinating to live through to think that like when I was a kid there was no internet. When you were a kid there was no internet. Uh, we didn't even have a color TV for for a few years of my life. Uh, you know the phone was attached to the wall with a cord and. Um, nobody called you after nine o'clock, and nobody left a message if they did. You didn't call them back um to the, where we are now where it's like instant everything um and, and overload of information um to to you know my daughter growing up, and she knows how to use my phone with her foot uh, you know, <laughs> so, so it's those kind of things that uh that we're shifting and culture shifting and it just makes you step back and reevaluate and and you know having. Pushed myself to the limit, having been the best in the world at something I can, I, like I said, I can't say it's a negative because it gave me the life I have and, and opened up doors and opportunities. But at the same time, I get why people don't do it. I knew, I used to never understand. You know, I'd be like, what is wrong with these people? Like, they say they want one thing and then they go do this other thing. And, and But now I get it. And I think that's the biggest problem. People talk about going all in all the time. And they have no idea what that means, Uh, you know, and and it sets them up for failure and it sets them up to feel guilt and shame and to beat themselves up. And I think that's why we have, um, you know, a a mental health issue right now. And we see people ending their lives and and that because the the expectations that are put on them by themselves as well as society have have grown to be so, you know, monumentous um, that that, that it just, you know, we have yet to just. discover as a society how to deal with everything that's so new to us uh we're in a learning phase right now and it'd be interesting to see how it pans out over the next you know 50 or so years
0: yeah and i i couldn't agree i could not agree more i mean when i when i look at yeah you know, again this progression and, and like you you were saying and i i was it <laughs> was around a long time before the birth of the real internet um and i think right now we're just kind of sitting in the shadow of what was very recently um, the the exposure to the elite of all the areas, which is great if you have the the mental discipline to realize that those are the outliers, those are the extremities, and where you want to find is a happy medium somewhere in between. But if you want to be deadlifting like Steffi Cohen and and a business person like Richard Branson, and you know these these are the best of the best of the best, and and some of these people have got a good balance now, but but you know Eddie Hall, all these people. He, he publicly says how he gave everything up and, you know, almost died in the process. And that's the bit that people don't understand. And, and so they're, they're trying to, you know, to get to not just one person's goal, but everyone's goal. They're trying to live like Jocko Willink and, you know, um, just take all these, these extremes and cram them into their life. And, and like you're saying, and if they're not achieving those goals, then they're believing that they're a failure. When the reality is each of these phenomenal people that have excelled in their areas, have given us a scale. And so I want to be 30% on the journey to here and I want to be 50% to here. And, you know, personal time, obviously I want to be 100% with my family, but you've got to find that, that balance. And I think that's kind of where we're kind of stumbling through now is realizing that what these incredible people that we're exposed to now on the internet are achieving is excellence on that one path. So where do you want to find yourself in that kind of overall 360... Um, You know, graph of where you, you know, Joe Blow, the individual is going to reside so that you have multiple facets going on in your life.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that the, the problem is, is most people don't know what they want, right? If you ask them, what do you want? They can't give you a straight answer. Um, and and that and and then sets them up to be you know to to live in comparison with other people to think they want things they might not not necessarily want. And one of the interesting things, you know, I had to, had the pleasure of, of visiting Necker Island and spending time with Richard Branson. One of the things you realize is is uh, not only with him and and with most of these people that, that make more money than they know what to do with is they just end up giving it away, right? You look at athletes who who reach the pinnacle, guys like Eddie Hall and myself. <laughs> like you, you end up walking away from the sport because you don't want to die, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and, and so it's, it's all very well saying I'm willing to die for this, but when you're actually on the brink of death, um, you know, you're waking up at night, you can't breathe, you, you know, because you, you have severe sleep apnea, you you fall asleep at stop signs. The rumble strip on the freeway wakes you up because you 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 know you're so exhausted. You start to question: Is this what I really want? And and that's the biggest thing I think people can can take is that you know you, you have to know yourself first. And I think spirituality is is an internal journey, and it's figuring out who you are, what you want, uh, what you want your life to be like like, like and, and how you want to live, and then living that. And and that be the measure of your success. And if that means your measure of success is, okay, I want to spend you know every day, I want to go home at five o'clock and I want to spend the afternoon with my children and I want to eat dinner with them and I want to put them to bed. That's your measure of success. You know, if that means you lose money because you didn't work overtime, like that's fine. And you have to, you have to see that. And I think that the, the social media is especially, you know, a lot to blame with this as we live in a comparison world now, you know, and we'll see people posting pictures and like everyone says, it's their highlight reel. And it's crafted, and it's done on purpose. But then we go, well, well I didn't do that, and, and that sounds fun. And you know, one of the greatest things about our time, though, is that you do get to experience a lot of these things, because we kind of live in more of a subscription economy now. You know, you can experience the mansion without living in one. And, and you know, having moved to Vegas and lived in a 11,000 square foot home, I can tell you they're not all they crack up to be, right? And so now with Airbnb, you could go experience it for the weekend and see, you know, is this you want, and are you willing to, to, to do what it takes to get that? Same with vehicles, you know, Porsche just, they have a new subscription program. Um, you know, you don't even have to buy one, you just subscribe and you can drive a different one, you know, every week if you wanted to. Um, you, these luxuries, you know, racetracks, you can go experience these cars and uh, you can go to these different places and do this and so now people can start to see oh, oh I don't actually want like you know this and I remember the first time I drove a supercar you know I couldn't get in um you know I had to kind of fold myself in and, and I was like oh well okay this is the most uncomfortable thing ever like I probably don't want to own one of these as my car you know as it to commute around like they're fun but like I can't drive this thing you know on the road so it's things like that, and I think that when it's not your reality or you haven't been around it, um, the unknown is very attractive. And it's kind of you know basics go all the way back to you know to the, the simplicity of it is you know the the idea that the grass is greener on the other side, um, and the grass is never greener on the other side. You know that's the truth of it.
0: Yeah. Well, when I came over here, it, it was it was kind of weird because I'd read you know Steinbeck and some of the. You know, American greats and I had this vision of the American dream what was that little piece of land and the house and, you know, the white picket fence and not in a cookie cutter way, just, just a corner of, of the earth to spend time with your family on, not to exclude other people, but just to, to exist on this planet. Um, but it was kind of right before the crash. So it was, it was, it was huge houses and Winnebago's and jet skis and, and motocross bikes. And, you know, it was, but it was all materialism. And then obviously that facade broke eventually and all those people lost, you know, a lot of those things. But like you said, that the, the, the underlying why had, had been confused with, I think, in my opinion, it was the MTV cribs. You weren't successful unless you had X, Y, and Z. You know, and the same with the Winnebago. You, I mean, if you think about how much money they spend on one of those, how many nights can you spend in a beautiful hotel overlooking the ocean for the price of a Winnebago? But they sold you the idea that if you didn't have one sitting in your driveway, then, you know, you hadn't, hadn't, um, achieved success. And obviously that's up to the individual to believe that or not, but it was definitely a very obvious hard sell when you moved over here.
1: Yeah, and I think it's what keeps economy moving, right? Um, being a marketer, you know, at the essence, um, you know, that's what that's really now what my craft is, despite, you know, having different titles and doing different things. Like, you know, I'm in the business of being able to sell, sell stuff to people. Um, that You know, you see the evils of, of that, and I kind of look at it like, you know, prosperity preaching, where, you know, people twist the truth in order to give hope to those that need it the most, you know, at the expense of their bank account um and and you see that constantly um and you know one of the things that you know I have a, a 16 year month daughter and so of course you know w- she's watching cartoons and stuff um now and you know one of the things is it, I hate uh having it on the regular like nickelodeon or things like that because every few minutes there's a commercial uh for a toy and you know I start looking at it, I'm like oh now I get where this this begins you know, the, the, the desire for things um, begin, you know, programming as babies. Um, and, you know, if you're unaware and, as a parent and, you know, like our daughter eats much better um, when she has the TV on than if we're sitting at the table. So she gets distracted. The dog, you know, the TV is on. She's watching TV and she's like eating. So, you know, we we're like, OK, like that's a good way. But we realize, oh, we've got to actually like, you know, put on a movie um with no commercials otherwise you know she would just she's just sitting there and being conditioned um but if you if you look at that and you look at your life and how you're conditioned you know most most men aspire to you know have a have a kind of a, a supercar um you know because of James Bond and you know is like what you believed as a kid or or batman you know and 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 like you said the mtv era and, and that's that's what you have to start questioning is, is is these beliefs that i have where do they come from and uh, why do i have them you know are they my own or are they have they been imparted on me by my environment and like you said you know having made the move like myself there's such a drastic difference over here to sell the american dream um and, and the thing is, is the American dream is possible, but you know, is the result what you really want? And that's something that that I think most people, um, need to evaluate. And and for me, you know, I love seeing people be successful, um, and, and achieve these these things and and ha- having a great way. But you know, there's always the other side. Um, you know, getting to the top of the mountain is one thing you still have to climb down and, uh, you know, that's, that's such an interesting journey in and of itself. And I think that that's not, you know, really shown much. Um, but, but, uh, you know, having, having walked it myself and, you know, walking other people through it, it's an interesting, um, part of your life that's never really talked about. And I think it's why you see so many people in that, you know, in their forties. Um, and actually it's, it's getting younger, you know, people in their thirties now too, but, uh, having, you know, midlife crises, so to speak, um, because they're suddenly realizing that, like, the the, the direction of their life is, is not going the way it should, uh, you know, and the universe is sending them little signs, um, and then finally it kind of boils over. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. We see the disruption in the government right now, in the education system, um, you know, globally versus uh, locally as well. So we're in a very disruptive, uh, you know, time um, we live in, you know, some people call it strange times, but, it, you know, what we're seeing is the breakdown of the old system. We're seeing the breakdown of the belief systems because they no longer can be controlled because the Internet has created such a free form of information. Um, people are realizing that then there's no limits. And it's kind of like a, if you look back to uh, when there was different hierarchies in culture, you know, if you were born into you know, being, a, being a servant, um, you know that's what your job was, and, and you, you weren't able to step into the you know the aristocrat world. Um, and sooner or later, people figured out, well, wait a minute, I'm a human, they're a human. Why can't I do this or why can't I do that? Um, you know we're seeing that play out, and right now we see it with the, with the, you know gender roles. And you know if they can do it, why can't I? And uh, it will continue to play out, you um, know, play out globally. You know, if, you know, just because you were born here doesn't mean you can't go there. Um, and we'll start to see, you know, in my opinion, we'll start to see the, the boundaries between countries, you know, lowered in a way. And people, you know, being able to move freely and and, and experience the global communication you know, global community. Um, but but within I think there's always going to be this, you know, driving force by people of power, so to speak, to be out of control and and do those things. And so it's just, you know, you have to figure out how to navigate within that world, how to operate within that world. Um, you know, unless you want to move to the top of the mountain and be a monk or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I'm seeing a paradigm paradigm shift as well. I think with this this information now where I think people are getting sick of some things. like The, the bombarding of commercials on televisions, for example, you're seeing now. People move to Amazon Prime and, and Netflix. I did about, oh my God, about nine years ago now, after my son basically verbatim quoted a QVC commercial about some knife that cuts fruit. <laughs> when he was about three, I'm like, all right, we're done. We are done. Um But there is this desire now, I think, and people are more aware of of that kind of bombarding. And I think that they're not shy of, of marketing as long as there's ethics behind it you know so they're looking now for those good products i think even you know why why podcasters like being a barbell shrugged that i know you're affiliated with and then joe rogan and tim ferris that if you guys endorse something they're like all right we trust you guys so therefore we're going to go down this road
1: yeah and, and unfortunately that's in you know a dangerous path too uh, when you, when you turn that trust over to someone because, you know, humans are, uh, you know, essentially flawed, essentially um, flawed. And so it's, it's tough even at that level, but you're right. People are more aware of it, but, you know, you know, doesn't really matter what level people are at there's, you know, conscious communication um, as a, as a marketer, if you understand where someone is, you can easily persuade and manipulate. And the, the best form of defense is just to learn it yourself so you can be aware of it when it happens, right, and you can kind of look at that and, and assess it and say okay is this is this actually a, a product that's really going to help me, or is it something that you know is being pushed because of certain beliefs patterns or or systems and things like that and um you know one of the one of the um you know topical examples right now is obviously legalization of marijuana um, you know marijuana you know plant based medicine is is an amazing tool um, that can be used to heal and and cure Um, you know, different issues and and things like that, especially mental health. Um, But at the same time, you know, the, the government and, you know, policymakers also understand that uh, you know, uh, an inebriated state is easily uh, manipulated. And so with things like smoking and alcohol becoming, you know, secondary choices because people become more aware of of, of health and the effects that those uh, drugs have on you, um, with the push uh, against, you know, pharmaceuticals and, and the dangers of pharmaceuticals, um, they need to shift into the next opportunity to make money. And so oftentimes what starts as something pure, um, ends up getting ruined um, because you know the pharmaceutical companies have more money, and so they can go and buy the rights and the patents. And you know you, you see them working on you know synthetic strains of MDMA, synthetic synthetic, sin, synthetic strains uh, for mushrooms and for marijuana and things like that because they can see the path and, and the direction it's going. And it kind of akens to Coca Cola um, owning all the the the, you know, the big water companies um, and the, the the vitamin water and things like that. Um, and, and unfortunately, they shift and uh it 's always been that way um, they shift as as culture shifts, and so you have to be careful um, and, and kind of pay attention to it and and I think that it's just it 's just always going to be that way and that 's just you know currently uh in our lifetime, I think it will be that way um, but what 's happening what I see happening is is people are you know i, I guess ascending up the the, the conscious level and, and starting to to have more and more awareness. Um, which then shifts and changes, and and it can only continue to be improved. And I think if we look back in history and we look at humans in general, that's how we survived. Um, You know, we're always improving and things are always changing. We're always going to have resistance against n- the new by the old um because it's uncertain and a lot of people don't like the uncertainty um but ultimately you know you have to just look at the world you live in and and, and try to limit it um, you know it's it's one of the reasons i try to limit as much you know as i can uh inputs you know from news from social media from things like i'm very careful on who i follow um you know if i have role models you know do they have the attributes that that i believe in um, because it's very dangerous to follow someone, you know, to, whether it's an athlete, whether it's an entertainer, whether it's you know a business leader, um, if they don't align with you on on your belief systems. And we mentioned earlier sleep. So one of the things that I tend to tune out is the minute I hear, you know, someone say something about, you know, sleep when you're dead or which I've been guilty of saying stuff like that in the past too, you know, from old belief systems. But when I hear people say that or preach, you know, this hustle, uh, you know, work, work until you bleed and all of those things, like I begin to, you know, stop following them because it, 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 Is it doesn't align with my thought process and my my belief system, so um, I I would limit those inputs because I don't want confusion. I don't want um, you know myself questioning myself constantly. So. Those are the kind of things that people can do to start to protect themselves, and I think that, you know, Netflix and things like that do that. But you you you're going to just see smarter marketers where, you know, product placement and things like that. And if I know that, like for example, I want to reach Joe Rogan's audience, like I just have to pay whatever you know the seventy-five thousand dollars, which it probably is per episode, to sponsor. Um, but I can get in front of those people, um, you know, and you know then then relying on Joe's ethics and what Joe believes in. Um, and you know, like I said, everybody's human. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to turn down money for, for certain things. If everything seems right on the surface, you never know what the true intentions are. Um, so it's one of those things where I think that you, you, you have to prepare yourself and just be aware and, and kind of always question everything and, I think that's the best way to move forward. But like I said, I think we we inherently like the more we get in tune with ourselves, and this kind of leads us leads us back to the holistic longevity com- conversation. But the more we get in tune with ourselves and, and kind of trust our gut, listen to our intuitions, which is usually you know our, our nervous system and our senses and you know those kind of things, we 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 can kind of navigate through the world pretty pretty good. Um, humans have have done a phenomenal job of being able to survive. Um, and I believe we have all the tools uh, inside of us to be able to do that. Uh, we just you know, spend a lifetime deconditioning ourselves. To listening to those things because we're told to ignore you know to ignore them and to you know you know don't judge a book by a cover and all these different sayings that get said that lead us away from our actual intuition so to speak um and so i think we're seeing more and more people get back in tune with that which is why we see the shift towards more you know what is what is coined as conscious thinking and those kind of things and of course the internet has sped that up too because now we can you know group and uh you know groups have more power than individuals
0: Absolutely. Well, we're speaking of longevity, I just want to, want to wrap up the, the powerlifting side. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, so you were competing through college. Um, kind of walk us through the success you had, but then, you know, I know you mentioned in one of the interviews about realizing you were focusing on the destination instead of the journey and kind of how that philosophy played into you then transitioning out.
1: Yeah. So what well, was interesting, uh, yeah, Emma, I think that as you, as you progress, you kind of on like the hero's journey. And for me, it was one of those things where, as I was, you know, navigating the course of of my career, um, ultimately, you know, you you start to think, where does this end? You know, what's the, the end goal here? And you, and you set those goals. And then as you begin to achieve them, I don't know, you, you're trying to figure out, okay, um, you know, what's next and how far can I push myself? And so for me, um, you know, as I was going through, I always knew my potential was beyond what my performance was. Um, and ultimately I just continued to learn um how to quote unquote unlock my potential, right? And it was in those moments that you, you you start to gain input from others, and I seek, I sought outside coaches and things like that, and, and I'm a big believer in that. Um, pe- people tend to be able to see things for you that you can't see yourself. And um, I think a great example is if you asked a friend to introduce you, they always introduce you way better than you could ever introduce yourself, right? Um, and and you think oh, I should just. Take this person around everywhere with me as my spokesperson um, because you 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 typically don't focus on your positive qualities um, uh, and you see all the negatives and so having outside counsel was always powerful but it also you know again they bring stuff to you that you might not be aware of and might not see and that's kind of what happened um, you know i started to seek outside nutritionists um, outside trainers that brought different exercises to my arsenal that i didn't have to kind of unlock um you know different things and really Start adding things in that I that I hadn't done before, um, you know, stretching and soft tissue work and massage therapy, and you know, again, adding more tools to the toolbox, um, you know. And for me, you know, after I broke the all-time world record, um, you know, I was I was dancing that that line of death, um, but I wanted to squat the twelve hundred, um, and so that was kind of the last goal I had. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna just push it as far as I can push it until I get this get this squat. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, the, the, literally the moment I ra- re-racked the bar after I, I got the lift, um, you know, I knew I was done, um, because I just knew that my, in my mind, I achieved everything I believed I could, um, and my potential, my performance were now matched. Um, and you know, Louis had all the faith in me to, to go, go on, but when he started talking about what it would take gaining another 50 pounds i was 320 pounds gaining another 50 pounds you know uh, pushing things even further like you know i knew where i was and uh you know i, I said es, essentially mentally I, I no longer believed that i could do it and for me i think the power of belief is the the number one thing you need to achieve anything and, and the minute you're questioning or doubting and, and those kind of things and not in a way of like you know um you know, you know how do I do this or or that? But the minute you're like, I can't do this, and and you you're absolutely certain. I think it's time. You know, did you walk away, and that was kind of where I was at. Um, and so it was it was a very definitive, you know, decision for me. And it took me a while to be able to have that conversation with Louis and my training partners and those kind of things. And even now, especially with like the release of the um, documentary and things like that, you know, I, I miss the place, I miss the environment, I miss training like that, but. You know, my life is so far from that now that it's like, it's hard to even remember how things were then. Um And to, you know, like, you know, to do what I did, knowing what I had to go through, like I knew, I, I know I would never do that again. You know, Um, I wouldn't push myself to that limit. I would have, you know, uh, I put the brakes on, those kind of things. And because of that, that's why, you know, I know that my time as, as you know, professional powerlifter, you know, is over. Um, Because I just know, like I, I'm not going to do what I would have done back then. I'm not going to take the risks. I'm not going to, you know, um, and, and I think that that's, and I'm okay with that. And, I'm a, and, and I think it allows me to continue to have perspective on, on it. Um, you know, and there's moments where my identity shifts back and I get caught up and, um, in that mentality and, and the feelings and the desires, and they will come rushing back. And I have to remind myself, you know, um, so, it was, so it was quite the journey uh, to go through and I think we go through these mini journeys these hero journeys uh, in all areas of our lives and, and you know those listening might not be able to relate in terms of you know the strength Process, But if they look at their life and they look at what was important at one point and whether they achieved it or didn't, there's kind of a definitive moment um, where you make that decision. You know, uh, you either walk away or you, or you continue to go down the path um, and continue to fight the battles and until you do kind of get to the, you know, the, the golden prize, whatever that may be for an individual. Um, and then you kind of figure out how to come back into the real world. and And so, you know, my integration has been. Uh, just over 7 years now trying to to, to trying to live a normal life um, and integrate into the into the real world and um it's very strange for me um and uh you know uh, it's it's uh, it's a part of my life I miss um but uh you know it was a wonderful time
0: yeah you know it absolutely parallels I think a lot of the the firefighters police soldiers EMS you know that that come back as well whether it's the the guy, men and women that leave the military or the men and women in the fire service and, and the other first responder professions that either retire or they get hurt is you see that that, that was the identity. And, it, and it's something that you need to be very proud of. But if that's all you've clung on to, then it can be a very, very difficult transition into whatever the next chapter is going to hold.
1: Yeah, I think – I mean that transition is so difficult because I, I, you mentioned the word identity. I think that's the hardest thing is, is we begin to believe we are – like, if I, I believed I was a powerlifter. You know, I told Lou, Louie that I would never leave, you know, um, and you, you don't see yourself as a human in, in a way. You see yourself as that label and you put labels on yourself and we all do it, whether it's a father or a husband, you know, um, you know, whether it's, you know, what your job is. Like I said earlier, I'm a marketer. You know, I'm not really a marketer. I'm someone who knows marketing, right? And I think it's important to begin to see the labels that you put on yourself, and, and like you know to be able to recognize them and what that means to you. Um, and you kind of have to become a chameleon and be able to shift from from identity or labels to labels um, based on where you are. And Most people do in their daily life, anyway. You know, most people have a work persona, they have a home persona, they have a a, a husband or a, you know a father persona or wife persona, um, and and they don't realize that they're shifting constantly between these different pieces of of their personality um and i think the problem is is when we allow a certain label to rule us and to dictate uh, our entire existence um then when we remove ourselves from that label or try to remove ourselves from that label it's very difficult because you're left with yourself and uh you know and a lot of people you know that's a lonely place to be um and they're not they're not okay hanging out with themselves. That's why I'm a big fan of meditation because you, get, you spend a lot of time with yourself um, and getting to learn and, and listen to your own inner thoughts, right? And that's a place that most people aren't, You know, comfortable with, especially when you're you're told what you are, or it's dictated to you, or you're given expectations. All of a sudden, when you get to make the choices, or you get to uh, make decisions, you know, it's a dangerous place to be. Do you trust yourself? You know, uh, you know, can you be trusted? Uh, Those kind of things. And I think that that's why so many people struggle. Um, It's just because they 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 really don't know who they are. Um, And that's a question. It's it's it seems to be you know uh, the search, the never-ending search of you know who am I. Um, and I think that that's that's tough for people. And when it comes down to it, you're just a human being, uh, you know, you, t- you know, and there's there's no labels that go to that. And, and so most of what the journey becomes is unlearning, right? Unlearning and deconditioning all these all these things that you you've you've kind of put in an imaginary backpack and you're carting around with yourself. And, you know, once you figure out, you, you start taking taking things out piece by piece and eventually you get to just put the whole backpack down.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And even, even deconstructing with, you know, what we were taught about nutrition, what we were taught about, you know, movement. I'm I'm realizing that it's a constant deconstruction. You know, what we're talking about, you know, if you have certain religious beliefs or political beliefs that, that again, I think we're, we're kind of shown this, this, this impression that you can't change your mind. You know, you see these political campaigns and, oh, this person's wishy washy, whatever. And I think that's one of the most important skills is to be able to say, not even I made a mistake. When I, was, when I was 20, I was this person. When I was 21, I'd read these books. Now I became this person. And, and understanding that it's okay to look back and go, you know what? What I did here and here, you know, I wouldn't do again. It was wrong. Um, but that's okay because I can't change that anyway. So, so let me just be who I am today. And I was a firefighter. Or I got hurt or I retired or I made a mistake and got a DUI, whatever it was. But that doesn't define me. I'm just going to discover who I am next.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is an important piece. Like, like humans seem to be the only, um, you know, living existence that hold on to the past. Um, you know, and I kind of, I've got three dogs. Um, and no matter what, they're always happy to see you, you know? Um, no matter what, they always want to play. No matter what, they're always wagging their tails. You know, you can, you can, you, you know, they could be barking. I could tell, you know, Hey, be quiet. Um, and they're quiet and then two seconds later they're like coming up and, and nuzzling and, and wanting to play again. They don't hold on to anything. Um and, and we do. Uh, and that's the hardest thing. It's like you said, like not to be uh, not to start identifying or blaming or having shame around those things. Um and, and that's what's very dangerous and, and people take on that and, and and it constantly bugs them, you know. And a lot of the times, more than anything, is we think it affected someone else, and we start to create stories and beliefs around their stories and their beliefs and we have no actual knowledge of what that is, but we we like to imagine these things and build these stories in our head and we're great storytellers right that's what we've been doing since the beginning of time it's how we've passed on legacy after legacy to, to generation after generation so we're we're inherently great storytellers and um you know. The problem is is we have a, such an amazing imagination um, that we'll create these elaborate stories in our mind and if we allow them, they can turn negative, right? And so it's really important to be able to catch that. It's really important to see that. Um, and one of the things I learned long ago is just really to be able to step back and kind of z- zoom out and see yourself from above, right? Um, and so, and look at, you know, you're not... You're not the, the the voice in your head. You're the voice obver- observing the voice in your head. And um, you're the observer, and you have to look at your life and observe it and and, and look at it and, um, you know, look at the truth. And I think that that's the big thing that that's hard is people think reality is truth. Reality is just your world and what you live in. Um, and in, in a real simple way to look at that is, is you know, when I train, I trained, uh, and when I started training with Brent, the guy was squatting, you know, over a thousand pounds for, for reps. So my reality was that as a powerlifter that, you know, that's the level of strength that I can get to. Right. Yeah. You walk in a CrossFit gym and the biggest squat is maybe 500 pounds for a male. Well, that's the reality of, of men in that gym, you know, so there's not going to be too many people who out squat that. You know, but if you had a guy in the gym, you know, like a Dan Green or someone, you know, Larry, Larry wheels, that's, you know, turning around and, and putting up 800 pounds on their back, all of a sudden the entire gym shifts and you're going to see a lot more 600 pound squats because it's not seen as a big number. Um, and that's the, the, that's the difference between truth and reality. Right. Um, and, and I think that most people live in a world of their reality, not a world of real truth.
0: Yeah, no, I agree completely. And, and I've even seen that shift. Um, just I mean, on, a, on a totally different way. We just did a strongman workout the other day and got a new 250-pound bag. And we just kind of worked our way up and ended up walking around with way more than any of us would have perceived doing before that started. And that was just because they, they'd moved the bar over um, and, you know, made us realize that we were able to do more. But with that storytelling, you're really going to remind me of something that I talk about a lot, which is the 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 fictional account of what a man is and and that's led to some some real issues i think in 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 our community with with the suicide and the depression and anxiety because a man never cries a man is tough a man you know can can kill 100 bad guys with his bare hands and and we believe we believe that and in our generation yours and mine with the terminators and the rambos of the world that's what we were led to believe, and then now you've got these these older, you know, first responders and, and members of the military that feel like they're weak, and so rather than telling anyone, they just take their own lives. So those those stories can be extremely dangerous as well if you believe, you know, this this fictional tale that that we're possibly reading or seeing on our screens.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, and it's funny to think that World War One was you know, a hundred years ago, (laughs) you know, um, so like we're, we're not talking that long, but you know, before that, I, and, and I don't know history that well. So apologize to anyone listening who perhaps knows it better than me. But if you go way back, you know, men were hunter and gatherers, they would go to war, they would go fight, you know, the entire, you know, Villages were wiped out as, as, as people were killed, but there seemed to have been a long gap between that and World War I, and, and World War I was kind of the first modern-day mass um, war. Hence the name. And uh, what we saw was men being torn away from their families, men and and children, right? Um, Going and seeing the most extreme things they've ever seen, you know. And back then there wasn't, you know, now you can see extreme stuff pretty easy. But back then there wasn't, right? So it's a shock to the system, so to speak. It creates mental glitches and, and, you know, and uh, causes issues and then, and then they come back from the war and they're expected to integrate back into society with no help, no guidance. And so what you saw was these, you know, lost men or, or you know, basically mentally disturbed men who have gone through extreme trauma um trying to integrate back into the regular world and because of that what we saw was children remain at home with the mothers a lot longer um you know and the, the work environment shifted uh and then here we go back into world war 2 and and now we don't have enough men to do everything and and you know the women women's movement had started and so now women are stepping into the role of men um and again you know war ends and and we go back to normal but now the man is absent from the home mentally right mentally emotionally um there physically but the women have now been shown that the masculine energy. They've, they've accessed that. They've seen that there's, hey, I can do, do a man's job, you know, um, which, you know, was just, again, a foreign concept, reality versus truth. They could have done it before. They just had no reality of that. Um, so now all of a sudden the question comes into play, well, what do we need men for, you know, at, in the home? Um, so men get pushed out of the home, go work. They're sold sold on this dream of moving into inner cities and move away from, you know, the farms and stuff and go work for a factory, go do this, you know, li- like dedicate your life to one company, uh, get get a pension, do all this stuff. And so, you know, kids go to school even longer. Um, and, and again, so now what you have is you have, you know, f- feminine energy mixed with masculine energy in one parent. You have another parent who's absent. You've got a child who doesn't really know, like, you know, According to them, their dad is this emotional thing, so that's what it means to be a man. And and fast forward, like I said, a hundred years, where we're at now, it's really less than that with with World War II and stuff. And now now we see the the results of that, right? And we see the issues that we're faced with now and the the hot topics that are on the the, the steps of of governments and stuff like that. Um, and, it, and it's you know it's interesting to see you know what's going on in England right now with Brexit. And the big arguments that are that are taking place and the fact that, you know, they can't even figure out what they want to do and you know, the, the person who's supposed to be in charge of running the country got vetoed and is not allowed to do what he wants to do and you know, it's just it's a bunch of men arguing over things and nothing getting done. Um and, you know, we're really in a state of, of confusion in terms of what it takes um to get things done, um and, and what is needed to to fill Hall um as an individual, you know. And there's all these arguments around male and female. It's not really male and female. It's kind of the masculine feminine, which is the yin and the yang. Um, And, you know, we're seeing all of this play out because, you know, because of society, people have been living in roles that they might not necessarily naturally fit into um, in terms of, you know, instinct, uh, in terms of intuition. Um, And all of these things that have been with us, you know, since the beginning of time, now we're we're taught to suppress or uh to ignore and to do these things on both sides of the fence um and so we, you know it manifests into what we see in the public um today and so you know it's going to be a very interesting uh, future as we move forward but again it's just this, the difference between reality and truth and and figuring this stuff out and and, and it's a scary place to think that at some point you know It'll probably be considered strange for a baby to be born from a woman um, because they'll be able to do that in a, in a, in a laboratory uh, under much safer circumstances um, with less risks, less uh, you know risks of disease and um, dis- disability and things like that. And uh, people who will be having children the natural way will be considered kind of you know wrong. Um, and when you get into that phase, then you start to say, well, okay, like, if re, if uh, you know, the ability to reproduce, which is really the basic function of all living things, is to reproduce and continue. Um, if that's taken away from, you know, both men and women, then what? You know, um, you know, sex has becomes obsolete in terms of, you know, reproduction. It's just this enjoyable thing. Uh, then, then what is the, the concept of marriage? What is the concept of this? And so, we're going to see all of these issues play out. Um, and and, and eventually, you know, in in some strange way. It's this convergence back to just being this one being or whatever, um, and seems to be the direction we're going. And like I say, I have no idea where it'll end, but it's an interesting uh, thing to observe and to be a part of.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And then, and you talk about that whole gender, you know, identity. I think it's misconceived misconce- with, you know, the the extremes. Oh, I want to identify as my laptop. Yeah, okay, whatever, dude. But but the overall thing is, yeah, I mean, there is an element of us raising women, especially, you know, a few decades ago, women stay in the home and they cook and they clean. And, you know, and then the man puts on a suit and goes to, to work till he basically dies and gets his gold watch. And so I think, again, that we we're talking about earlier with not only the the power of the internet, but also you're born as a serf and then you serve, you know, the, the, the royalty, well then why should you? And I think there's there's a shift also in that, where people are realizing, you know what, I don't have to fall into the boxes that you give me. And and you, you you're talking about Brexit, which I read about this morning as well, which is just crazy, but I think it underlines the same way as our Last presidential campaign um, underlined, regardless of who ended up, it showed some real cracks in the actual system. That out of 320 million people in the U.S., we ended up with those two, regardless of what you your beliefs are. Um, and I think I hope that people are going to realize that it is power to the people that we cre- we we change the world. By getting together, working together, walking outside your front door and being kind and doing something good in your community rather than relying on, you know, being placed into boxes, which we've seen appear to generally do nothing but cause wars and cause racial issues and, you know, and prejudice and and really seem to have far more detriment than they do gain in, in the global, you know, organization.
1: Well, yeah. And, and the thing is, is what you mentioned is true. People are – the power to the people. I think what people don't realize – and it comes – you know, we mentioned Jocko earlier, but his big – you know, extreme ownership, which you really don't even need to read the book. The, the title says it all. When you realize that your life, you have extreme ownership over your life, you realize it doesn't really matter who is the president or who is the prime minister. Like your world is your world. And, you know, having lived through different, you know, different uh, elections, you, my, my economy hasn't shifted. You know, my world hasn't changed. Okay, taxes might go up. I might have to pay all of a sudden for health insurance, that I, you know, and, and pay a fi- fee and like little things like that. So, yeah, there is there is some passed down effect. But overall, in terms of how I operate and how I run my business and, you know, how, who, who I'm friends with and how, how I live as a human, like none of that is really affected by the laws. You know, um, whether whether weed is legal or not doesn't have an effect on me um, in terms of my personal choice, Right. And that's kind of the things that 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 I think people they give their power over to these these entities, whether it's the workplace that they work for, whether it's the government that they they believe in, um, and they have this false hope that somebody else is going to change their life, right? And if they just pick the right person, or pick the right team, or pick the right company. That then, then everything that they believe they want is, is going to happen, right? And it's this false hope in other people. Um, and they would rather, you know, we see that they'd rather give their money to someone else to fix their problems than, than to invest in themselves. And, and that's something that I think we're seeing people start to, to, to switch on to. Um, and, 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 of course, there's a lot of resistance from the o- opposition of that, from those that have the opposite belief power or those that benefit from that belief. Um, and I, I believe it's why we we started we started to see globalization in terms of um, global um, agreement in, you know with with just Europe Europe for an example, um, but then you see the pushback to pull away from it, and it goes back to you know oh they're different and you know we should be taking care of at home and, and and you look at it and you, really it's it, it's a push between you know people coming together as humanity. And a pushback for people to have pride in their in you know their country, and um, because people want to belong to something. Um, but you know, there's like I always joke. I'm like, the, 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 if 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 America really went to, to hell in a handbag, I'll just pack my family up and we'll move somewhere else. Like it's it's doable you know It's not, so in my world there's no risk of who, who's in charge and who's not in charge because if I don't like it I can move and I have that reality um, for some people they don't they have no awareness that that's possible you know no awareness that that's possible um, and so that, that's why we end up with the situations we have but I think that what what the current like you mentioned um, you know system is showing us and the cracks that are revealing is all of a sudden people are realizing that either they do have personal power or what they thought was happening was not really happening and that, that, that their vote doesn't really count, you know? Um, and so if my vote doesn't really count, then what, how do I make a change? And they're starting to question what really is going to bring change, especially, um, you know, and, and I don't have biases towards any party. Um, I think each president we've had has good and, and has bad, um, you know, and the, the thing with Obama that was before Trump, the thing with Obama was that he preached all this change, and I believe the guy actually wanted to create some massive change. But once you get into a system, you realize it's not that easy, right? Um, and I think that the, the the I think that the population saw that. You know, people who believed in him, who's going to bring all this change, and then, you know, the resistance he was met with, um, and well, and the ability to not do what he wanted to do, um, started to to expose a lot of that, and it just carried on to this to, to the you know, with Trump, um and, and it will carry on into whoever's next. Um and, and it's to me it's good because it it shows that we are progressing and things are gonna, you know, shift. And I always kind of joke, you know, that, that it's the, you know, um the bad times that bring the best of times. So, you know, that's kinda, you know, knowing and seeing the the turmoil that we're in globally as well as, you know, locally, uh, I think that something beautiful will come out on the other side.
0: Yeah, no, I do. And I think you know, there's so many great people that are leading outside of politics, you know, and then you actually mentioned one, someone I'd love to interview one day, Richard Branson. I mean, he, from early on, when I first started flying to America back in the, the early 90s, even then you could just tell like their their business model, the way they treated the customers, there was an element of altruism embedded within their overall, you know, desire to, to make money and 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 be a pr- prosperous business, and you still see this today. And for every, you know, at least this is the impression I get. For every, you know, moment they have as a, a business achievement, there seems to be a parallel moment where they're doing something good with some of that money somewhere in the world. Is that something that you observed, a Virgin?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, Richard. You know, I met a lot of different people that are very successful. I feel like Richard's one of the few that truly gets it, like you know, all of it. Um, and I think he is, uh, an amazing global leader. And I think he kind of, um, really sets the standard, um, you know, for, for, you know, people and profit. Um, and and I think that that's something that I, I used to, you know, start to question like, okay, you know, why do you actually need to all of this money? And and what I realized is really ultimately for guy, we use Richard as the example, it's your buy-in. You know, um, for those that are CrossFit, you know, you have your buy-in before the workout, right? Well, the making of the money is the buy-in to be able to now to you know make an impact on on such a global scale. Um, You know, it's very difficult to do without the money. Even Mother Teresa needed money. You know, Um, so those are the kind of things that like, oh, okay, like the 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 game we have to play in order to make change to 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 have a difference is we we've got to be able to 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 go through the buy-in. Um, and, and I think that that is something that's super interesting to observe with anything is that a lot of the times, you know, you got to do some things you don't want to do. And when I say don't want to do, I mean, you know, uh, some people might not want to get up and train at 5am, but you know, you have, to, it might be a piece of the job, you know, like before you can go and apply for the job, you have to go through a certain boot camp or something like that. Right. Um, and, and a lot of times I think that that's kind of a missing piece for some people. They don't realize they want the end result without, without the buy-in. Um, but a guy like Richard is, is, is a great example of someone who who has really figured out, you know, both sides of the coin. And there's a lot of other examples as well. But um, to me, and I think probably for you too, because we're both from England, it, you know, he was always shown as a, as a successful entrepreneur. Over here, what's interesting is a lot of the, the most successful entrepreneurs, you know, they tend to be... Um, somewhat reclusive or you know toxic um and so you know to me you've got to look at that and you got to look at you know what, what their their reasoning is and um what they're trying to do and and I think that that goes back to what I was saying about just limiting your inputs you know like who, who is it you look at and who do you aspire to be and um you know you find that unfortunately you'll find with everybody that when you get to know them on a personal level they're just human and they have mis- they have fallacies and flaws and they do things that you might not agree with and and those kind of things so um yeah
0: Brilliant. And that's what I love about this. I mean, I've had such a diverse group of people on here, you know, from, from high level and and high exposure to, you know, known just locally. Um, And and again, there's no scale to that. Some happen to be actors or, you know, whatever, but they're all just people. And I hope that I've managed to maintain that the ultimate through line is that they all understand that gratitude and kindness piece, no matter what they do for a living.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, key is that gratitude, you know, um, most of the most successful people I meet have immense gratitude. Um, you know, and they don't think they're anything special. They, they, they know that anybody could, could be in that position if they wanted to. Um, and I, and, and I think it's why you see so many people giving back, um, and trying to, trying to, you know, bring awareness and help others. Um, you know this this conversation could have gone a million different ways today you know it, it kind of went the philosophy path which is <laughs> yeah you, you know um always interesting to me i love chatting about it but you know for me hopefully the takeaway that people have got is that you know they're in control and they can write their own path and they just have to know what they want and and what they're willing to 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 do to get there um and outside of that you know everything else is just kind of an illusion Um, And it's you know, it's why you hear people, you know, talk about these different maybe living in a false reality and, you know, program world and all this different stuff. But, you know, ultimately, like we get to create our own reality. Um, And, uh, you know, if you choose to, you can create a very happy, joyous place.
0: Absolutely. And I just as a side note, how did you find yourself on Necker Island in front of Richard Branson?
1: Oh yeah, so I was a, a part of a, a coaching group called Mavericks. Actually, I was business partners with Yannick Silver. We had a big event called the Underground Online Seminar, and it was a big uh, like a marketing event. We would bring speakers in who, um, you know, were were millionaires, but nobody really knew who they were. They just were running their businesses, right? They they weren't out there being influencers or anything like that. They're actual real business owners. <laughs> uh, Yannick had a group called Maverick. He still has a group, Maverick One Thousand, and every year they go to Necker Island. They've been doing that now for I think about a decade and uh so he's become good friends with with um richard and so uh the year before i went for my birthday he had richard shoot a video for me wishing me happy birthday he was lifting a pillow up above his head and he, he says i'm strong too and he's like lifting his pillow up above his head but then of course because of my relationship with yannick when i went there he, richard knew who i was in a, in a sense and we were able to have some unique conversations which were, were awesome but um he he's a genuine guy and he's one of those few people you meet that actually comes across exactly how you see him in the media and everything like that. He's just a fun guy. Um, really, really gets it.
0: Yeah. No, it seems amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay. So then just one more thing before we get to some closing questions, just to fill the gap of the, the story. So you, you came out of, um, the, the powerlifting side, just give me a kind of overview of what you did to return your health back to where you wanted to and then how you found the kind of the business route to follow as far as career.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I stepped away from powerlifting to be healthy um, and then got into CrossFit. Uh, and then most of that was because I was working with CrossFit, traveling the world, teaching the, the powerlifting seminar for Louis. Um, so I was talking to Dave Castro one day. Actually, I was talking to Dave Castro's wife and uh, she said, you know, what are you doing now? And I was kind of not really doing anything, um, you know, just working out here and there and. You know, I try to lose weight, and I was eating healthy. And uh, you know, I told her then, and, and I said, you know, maybe one day I'll try CrossFit when I when I get in shape. And she just looked at me and was like, "That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. CrossFit's the best thing you could ever do." So, I jumped into CrossFit. Me being me, jumping into CrossFit means you know, training three <laughs> hours a day with with the uh, pro athletes. So, uh, you know, um, I started training with a lot of the top CrossFit athletes, and basically set my goal to become the f- fittest man in the world. Um. Ended up doing the open and just destroying my body. Um, and, and again, it wasn't, it was nothing to do with CrossFit. You know? I want to make that very clear. It was everything to do with my mentality um, and not being prepared, you know, no base for, for what I threw my body into uh, mentally able to handle whatever, physically not, right? So it's a, a different than most people. Most people physically are there, not mentally they're not. But I had the opposite. So I ended up getting hurt um, and ended up tearing my pec. I didn't tear my pec during CrossFit. I actually tore my pec, trying to uh, work out with a bunch of powerlifters. Uh, but it was right after the open. So then I was like, you know, I got to figure out something. And uh, we trained at, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time tr- trained at a, a, a gym that had a lot of professional bodybuilders. You know, so I knew how bodybuilders train. I thought, okay, that's that's a lot safer than what I'm doing. You know, um, very controlled lighter weights, that kind of stuff. Um, and so I jumped into bodybuilding, competed in bodybuilding, lost 100 pounds, stepped on stage. Um, but uh, again, the ego got filled, and, and everyone was say, hey, you can turn pro, and you you know, believe it or not, when I stripped down, uh, pretty symmetrical, you know, pretty good um, muscle belly is pretty good shape. Obviously, genetics. Um, so you know, all of a sudden, I thought I was going to be a pro bodybuilder. So. And maybe six months after my first competition, I was on like my 10th meal or something for the day and I could just hear myself breathing again and, uh, you know, uh, sweating from the food. And and I just realized I was repeating the same pattern, the same toxic behavior that I had with powerlifting, right? And I just put the fork down and just said, all right, that's it, I'm done. And I just quit cold turkey. And um, about eighteen months later, I found myself on the beach of Laguna um, at a program called the Wake up Warrior Program, trying to figure out who the fuck I was as a, as a human being um, because what I didn't think about was you know the amount of you know hormones that I'd been on all of a sudden I you know stopped that uh, cold turkey, and here we are eighteen months later, everything is crashed, you know my body's shutting down, my liver, my kidneys everything was in pretty bad place but um, I didn't know that, right? All I knew was that I couldn't get off the couch. You know, I'd been watching Netflix for hours on end, and I felt like like, my thought process was, is this what normal is? Like, because this sucks, right? Um, and, and so it led me down this path of, like, trying to figure it out. Eventually, I went to a naturopathic um, place and, and had everything, well, my levels tested, everything like that, and, and figured out what was wrong. And so since then, I've been on this slow healing process um, and, and figuring out, you know, how to to basically fix and, and, and longevity right so instead of crash dieting okay like how do i actually you know eat um, mindfully and, and, and lose this weight and so i'm in the the midst of that in a way um, as my body b- continues to to heal and get better um, so it's been quite quite the crazy journey but you know again it's coming back to the things now you know like flexibility is a measurement for for longevity you know um, and you know, getting into yoga, meditation for the mind, you know really observing my sleep, which is disrupted quite a bit when you have a baby, um, and those kind of things, and so it leads you on these different these different paths and and I look at into more of the holistic approach um, you know training becomes more flow, um, what do I need you know what are my imbalances so um, you know, we do a lot of joint stuff. Um, and, and that kind of stuff. And the reality is is that I probably can still put you know five, six hundred pounds on my back and squat, but you know, do I need to do that? Um, the answer is no, right? What I need to do is be able to touch my toes. <laughs> so um, you know those are the kind of things that is, it, it's it's funny because the same behavior when I was at Westside in terms of looking at strengths and weaknesses, I was looking at that from a from a power output standpoint. I'm still looking at that now, strength and weaknesses, but from a from a movement and a function st- uh, standpoint, um, and, and, and you know learning, okay, you know I can't rotate internally very well, you know, my ankles, okay, We should probably work on that, um, you know, uh, and fix that and and you know deal with the arthritis that you have and all these different things that you 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 caused. Um so it's so it's a constant journey there. Um, but, uh, but it's one that I've surrendered to and I'm having a lot of fun figuring it out.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. And that's what I found as well. You know, I'm 45 and been a fireman for 15 years. There is wear and tear, but again, it's like you're telling about that story, that self belief they're told. You know, I think that the story is told to a lot of people. Oh, well that means surgery. That means pills. That means you're going to have to take this forever. And that's complete you know, bullshit for lack of a better word, but it's going to take work. And, you know, correcting an imbalance is a pain in the ass when you've just got one hip that's rotated externally or whatever you've got going on. Um, but like, you know, like you're saying, it's the longevity thing. And I have to keep reminding myself, as we were talking about evolution earlier, do you honestly think that our hunter gatherer predecessors got out of the bed in the morning? Like, oh, fucking hell, my back's killing me. You know, no, they, they, their body was in homeostasis mostly because we hadn't been doing all these things that are beating us down so if we're going to be in a chair for hours on end we got to understand there's going to be you know yoga or foundation training or some sort of movement practice that um is going to target that um but yeah so understanding you know the the health piece versus the the physical excellence piece um is going to take some work i think is, is a lesson that many people if they took on board would be blown away how incredibly self-healing the human body can actually be
1: Absolutely. But beyond what we could ever imagine, you know, the the, the simple way I like to explain it is, is like if you took a knife out and cut your hand right now, you could just literally watch for the next few weeks as that hand heals, heals itself. No mind connection, right? It just does. Um, you know, when it has the ability to do that, it really has the ability to do anything um, once it's given the environment. Unfortunately, you know, we're constantly bombarding it with chemicals and you know, poison, essentially, foods we shouldn't eat, and uh, things like that 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 stops the body being able to heal what it needs to heal because it's constantly fighting you know um, what what you're putting into your guts um, you know and and there's been a lot of study on on the brain function and how. We actually, you know, have memory cells that aren't in the brain, right? They're they're in the body, uh, and plant-based medicine is leading people to be able to actually experience that, right? Um, and 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 fix that and remove these these issues they have. But ultimately, when given the right environment, like you said, the body is can heal incredibly, you know. Um, and and you see this when you know someone, you know, goes goes and does an ayahuasca ceremony or something, right? And it just reprograms the way their entire body and brain function. And they shift, and they become an entirely different person, you know, because they were able to heal trauma that was trapped, you know, somewhere in their body. Um, And so I think we're we're beginning, especially in the health and fitness field, um, we're beginning to go down that path um, and and understand the importance of that. Um, and And it's interesting having having trained, I can tell anybody listening that the most important thing you could possibly do is eat right. Nothing else matters. You, you train like a bodybuilder powerlifter, CrossFitter. None of that matters if you're not eating right, you know. Um, and, and, you know, that's the biggest thing. And my wife, she's, you know, worked with, you know, top competitive teams, cross, work with CrossFit NorCal. She worked work with CrossFit PB. Um, she's worked with, with athletes that are Invictus and, and things like that. Um, and they're always blown away that they lose weight, lose fat, and gain strength. You know, it's the, the, well, you can't do that. You can't do both. Well, you can when you figure out how to make the the body work optimally. And it goes back to what you said. Our ancestors woke up, probably stretched like I see my dogs doing in the morning. You know, they do a downward dog and, uh, you know, a little bit of a shake. And then, boom, they can sprint. There's no warm-up needed, right? Because everything is optimal. Uh, The body is optimal. The tissue quality is optimal. Um, And and so we know we can be at that. And that's, I think, the, the greatest thing is this. Many examples for us to follow, it's not uncharted territory. We're not trying to do things nobody else has done here with a, with a human body. You know, um, Wim Hof is, has blown away a lot of belief systems around cold. You know, you look at some of the, the, the yoga, yogis that started where they, they can't do stuff and, and now they're doing, you know, putting themselves in positions that just blow you away. Um, there's the examples for us to follow. And, uh, you know, it's figuring out what's needed and not going to the extremes. Um, and it's funny cause we live, we, we talked about this, but we live in a society that celebrates extremes. But the reality is, is that most of us should just be living in the middle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something that we're realizing now with the average person is, you know, take CrossFit for example. I've, I've done that for about 12 years now and I've coached for the last three or four, um, And again, it's, it's getting that, getting off the PR mentality. If, if you're anything other than wanting to be a competitive athlete, like you don't need to be going for that 100% range all the time. You sit in that 80% range where you're still challenging yourself, but you're moving well and maybe, you know, adding a couple extra reps to get the volume in, you know, you're not, you're probably not going to get hurt. But I mean, we saw it definitely in, 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 you know, my gym, say four or five years ago when that competitive, push really came in and it wasn't again it wasn't anyone's fault but everyone wanted to jump straight into butterfly pull-ups and you know pr their snatch and then all of a sudden they're gone for three months what happened to steve oh he tore his shoulder you know and i think that's something that we're realizing not only in in the crossfit space but in tactical athlete space too which is you know you've got to build that resilience which doesn't involve max every single session quite the opposite there's more focus on recovery than there is on destroying yourself no pain no game mentality
1: yeah, Louis always said that there's no such thing as overtraining, and I kind of kind of adjusted that. There's no such thing as wrong training; uh, it's just being underprepared, right? As Louis always said, there's no such thing as overtraining; it's just being underprepared. I kind of feel like there's no such thing as the wrong training; it's just prepar- preparedness. Like inherently, none of those exercises should be dangerous, but when performed in a certain pattern, or on back of each other, or over a period of time that isn't taken in consideration, you know, you you get into trouble when you have you know you have an athlete who is is conditioned and who is skilled um performing the same workout as a as someone who isn't um you know it sounds cool to be able to train alongside each other but at the end of the day if it takes you know johnny four minutes to do the workout because he's a conditioned athlete who knows what he's doing and it takes you 15 well who's showing up the next day like ready to do the next workout it's johnny right so of course He's he's going to excel, and you're going to continue to go backwards as your body doesn't recover. It doesn't do those things, and so, um, you know, my advice to an athlete would be completely different than my advice to to the majority of the audience, because you know I'd be pushing the opposite, right? Because I know the extremes they have to take. And if that's what they wanted, you know, you you, you can't. Of, oftentimes, you have to realize you can't convince someone uh, what what you you know or believe. You, they they're on their own path, right? And so you can support it. But for the majority of people, like you said, they have to understand. Like, I don't I don't need to do snatches. That's not the 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 exercise is not the important piece here. What what am I trying to achieve? What's the outcome I'm trying to achieve? And what is the best path to get there? Um, and, and it's funny because you know coaches get different raps cuz oh squats are dangerous or this is this i think what people take out of context or what they don't understand is why that person is saying that right um i think dr a- andy gaplin just released a uh, uh, he made a post about a study that was just done about squats and deadlifts and how there's no difference in out- in um outcome right and stra- i think it was strand i i'd have to look at the study I- just sort about two days ago, um, and, and put it in my save folder. But basically what he was saying was that the the study showed there's no difference between squats and deadlifts. And what he was asking was, you know, what do you prefer? Do you find a difference? Uh, I can tell you like, personally, I feel like deadlifts destroy you way more than squats. Um, but this study says otherwise. Right. And again, that goes back to reality and truth. Um, and what, what are you led to believe? And so that's kind of, you know, how I look at, look at the training. And I think that for people who are in professional services, that their job is physically demanding, you got to treat it. You almost do have to train like an athlete in a sense, right? And what I mean by that is that, you know, an athlete, the game is their job and the training is preparation, right? The, The training should not become your job or become the competition, right? Um, and that's what you need to be able to separate is, is what is the purpose of my training? What is the purpose of my life? Like in terms of, you know, does your, does your life, your job, your training, your relationships, does it serve your, your life and what, what you want for yourself? Um, I think you have to step back and have that holistic approach. And we compartmentalize a lot of our life and we've seen and in a way businesses has, has continued to split, right? Um, you know, if you have a problem with your hand, you go to a hand doctor. You know, I don't just go to a regular doctor. Everything is splendid, but the hand is a part of the body, right? So if you have a hand issue, well, maybe there's something going on at the shoulder or the hip or the ankle, you know, and it's transferring. Like, we need to know these things. So I think that that's kind of uh, – hopefully, you know, th- the audience listening um, can take away from this is that they have to start – really, and, and it sucks to say, but you have to figure out and be able to train yourself. And it was something Louis did very, very well for us at Westside – people don't realize he's not really a coach. Um, He's a mentor in the fact that he'll show you the path, but he wants you to learn for yourself. He wants you to figure stuff out. He wants you to question, um, and and he wants to train alongside you as you do that. And I think most people, what they want is a cookie cutter program, what they want sets and reps, or they want this. What you need is concepts, theories, and you need to realize that you're just an experiment, and you have to go out, and you have to figure out for yourself what is needed and what's going to work.
0: Yeah. Well, like Julian Bono always talks about principles rather than, you know, um, What's the word they use? I forget now, but, but yeah, just, and I, I think that's, that's another area that, that people miss is that we are all different. I mean, look at nutrition, make the example of you take someone, the Aboriginal from Australia that lives in the outback and an Inuit that lives in Alaska, Yeah, you know, <laughs> DNA wise, they're not going to be surviving on the same stuff. So to pretend that every single person on planet earth should be on keto or paleo or whatever, you got to find your own combination that works for you on the physical side, but also on the nutrition side as well.
1: Yeah. And we, we definitely have bias based on experience, right? Our experience creates our reality, which gives us our bias. And so you hear these people who are, you know, keto only and, uh, You realize it's because of their experience and their journey and hey I'm on keto right now you know um, I'm working with my wife figuring out like what does my body need right now and it's keto but the one thing and and this is what makes her such a genius is hey your body's going to change and as your body changes your nutritional requirements will change and so the goal is essentially to be optimal and be able to process all foods correctly but right now your body doesn't process carbs very well you know so let's give your body a break let's let the the gut heal let's you know remove some of the issues you have leaky gut syndrome things like that and and then when you get to a point where we can start reintroducing this stuff we can um but when i hear you know we joke about different diets that come out but like the all meat diet nothing but meat well of course when you reintroduce food it's gonna make you sick your your, your stomach doesn't have the you know enzymes to digest vegetables anymore because you just cut them out for 90 days um so but that's not how the way the human body should function Right, um, and I think that that's really you know what you've you've got to figure out. And again, like you said, depending on where you're from, your genetics, how your body's adapted over time, there's going to be certain things that work and certain things that don't. But that doesn't make it right for everybody. And I think that that's so important to understand. And that's why it's so important. Like I said earlier about inputs and who you're listening to, you you have to know where they're coming from. What shaped those belief systems? Are you going to follow that same path? You can't expect the results without the work. Right, and so you have to assess the work part. Are you, is that the work you want to do too, <laughs> to get those results? Or maybe there's a different path for you, or maybe you don't want to go through that. So, you know, it's it's very easy for us to see where we are and see where we want to go, and forget everything in between as the important steps, right? And so it's just a a constant case of of I think looking at that and and assessing and observing. And if you just choose to go on the path, and um and 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 go on that that journey, you have to be committed. Um, to get to the other side and you'll learn a lot of stuff along the way
0: absolutely all right well, i want to shift to one one thing quickly before we get to the closing questions i want to be mindful of your time but um the, so how did you find yourself career wise in in business specifically after being a professional athlete <laughs> yes
1: yeah, so it started in college actually when i was strength and conditioning so upon graduation i got offered the head head strength and conditioning position for track and field at the division one level school and uh the salary that i was offered was a grand total of thirteen thousand dollars and uh i was like how the hell am i gonna live on on that kind of money um and there was a strength conditioning coach called eric cressy and and another uh coach called mike robinson who are phenomenal coaches who had put out like a mobility dvd well eric and mike were also powerlifters so i just reached out to to eric and said hey man like you know this 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 DVD. Like you know, how did you get into products? And so he introduced me to a guy named Ryan Lee. And uh, before I knew it, I was uh, in flying to Boston, slept on Eric's you know couch, uh, and then we went to this conference together. And essentially, it was you know how to make money in the fitness industry as a, a quote unquote an influencer, right? As a writer, an author, a speaker, um, product development a developer. Um, guys like Mike Boyle was speaking, and Zach Evanish and. Uh, you know uh, Brian Grassler, who, who who created the International Youth Conditioning Association. Um, I'm not sure if um, Martin Rooney was there. Um, I think he might have been. But uh, lo- coaches like that. And I, I quickly, I was sitting there. You know, and I'd been training with a world record holder, so we have been using bands and different things like that. And I remember just sitting in the audience and just immediately knowing I wanted to be on that stage. I I knew, I knew stuff that that, that they were, you know, about training that they didn't. Um, you know, there was stuff that I wanted to share and I just, whether it was an ego at the time or whatever, you know, I just knew that that was the path I wanted to take. And so I, I really got into studying, you know, what they were doing and what I realized pretty quick, I took a job in Kentucky running a health club. I Actually, took a job running the personal training department at the health club, and you know, save time. I ended up running the entire health club. But what I realized pretty quick that was that it wasn't the actual doing of the training that was important. It was the the, the marketing and the sales of the training, um, because no matter how good you are, if you don't have clients, you know, you can't help anybody, um, and due to my obsession, I just started learning everything I could learn around business um, and really understood that. And that's what allowed me to be a professional powerlifter because I was able to figure out, you know, how to make money, you know, in in the the, the strength and conditioning or fitness field, um, which led me to working with this consulting company that was helping gyms and, and, and people like that and, uh, you know, running all the marketing for that. And that's how I got into the, the the side of, you know, teaching the business side, so to speak. Um, and then that led me to, to meeting people outside of our industry and business and, and essentially um, seeing that, you know, from industry to industry, the same principles, right, um, shine through. Um, and so, um, you know, started working with different people in different industries, which, you know, ended up now, you know, I run a software company. <laughs> so, um, you know, but, but, but the principles are the same, like we mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, I'm still heavily involved in fitness and speak at several conferences around the country, but, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting how that goes. And again, it's just allowing life to unfold and, uh, you know, taking opportunities when they come.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I want to, want to transfer to some, uh, closing questions then. Um, the first one I always ask, is there a book that you love to recommend to people? It can be about what we've discussed today, or it can be completely different.
1: Yeah. So I, I recommend the surrender experience. Um, it's one of the best books, um, by, um, Michael Singer, I think is the, the correct pronunciation. Um, but, but ultimately it, it's, it's about, allowing life to unfold and kind of, you know, going along with it, um, with, without too much resistance. And, you know, it's always when you look back that everything, you can connect the dots. Right. Um, so for me, that's one of my favorite books. A lot of people prefer his other one, Untethered Soul, um, which is another one of his books, but that's, that's the one I've been recently recommending the most. And it kind of goes with everything we've been talking about today.
0: Fantastic. Now you mentioned, um, West Side versus the world, the new documentary. Are there any other movies, or documentaries that you love to recommend?
1: Oh man, I'm a documentary nerd, but um, I think, uh, I think, I think you pronounce it, uh, Gyros Dreams of Sushi. Um, that's a that's a phenomenal um, documentary, um, and it's interesting if you if you watch that. The old guy in that who owns the sushi restaurant, he's just like Louis. So it's it, when I watched that documentary, I was like, this is just Louis as a sushi chef, right? Um, and then another documentary that I think everyone should watch is called Finding Joe um, and it's about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and I think um, for most people, you know, I mentioned that multiple times today, but if they watched that documentary, their life would begin to make total sense. Um, and they would kind of be able to see the journey that they're on and the path and, and where they're at. Um, and they'll also never watch a movie the same way again because you'll see how every movie is constructed, uh, at least the good ones.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. I haven't had uh, Finding Joe recommended before, so thank you for that. Um, all right. So the next question, is there a person that you would recommend to come on this podcast to speak to the first responders and military of the world as a guest?
1: I mean, I know so many great people, um, you know, guys, guys like Jay Frugia, Luca Husseva, you know, Mike Bledsoe, like these are all guys that, you know, I think are just phenomenal, you know, people when it comes to, to training and to life. Um, and, and I think they could share a lot of wisdom with the audience.
0: Brilliant. I had Mike on already. He was amazing.
1: Oh, as always.
0: <laughs> all right. So then the last question before we talk about where we can find you, um, what do you do to decompress?
1: Yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier that I used to ride BMX and um you know, f- for a long time training becomes very difficult for me because the ego wants to take over and I wanna lift heavy, right? Um so I have to be very disciplined in my training. And so um I realized that I, you know, I quickly could go down wrong paths. And so I started looking at getting into to to mountain biking. Um, and I don't know any mountain bikers around here, but I have a few friends that, that do it in, in Spokane, Washington, and I shot them the, a text message and they shot me back some bikes I had, I could, could get. And, um, the, you know, these are five to $10,000 bikes, you know, um, and I was, whoa, this is quite a big investment. I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> ready to go all in with that. Um, and so I started looking around and realized that San Diego was actually one of the best, it has the most professional BMX riders in the world and uh, we have the most skate parks as well. Um, and so You know, as fun, I just decided to get a BMX and start messing around again on it. Um, And it's funny because since I've done that, um, I've met uh I've had conversations with uh, former powerlifter Chad Akes, who was a four hundred pound guy when he was competing, who was also back into BMX riding, uh, a bodybuilder I used to train with. He started racing BMX. Um and so it's just it's opened me back up. But but I just love it. And um, you know, what I love about it is I suck and uh I, I get to get better and better. Um and I, I've never been into skateboarding or anything like that. Um and, uh, you know, so I got, got the bike in. I'll go out to the skate park several times a week. I recently went to Woodward, which is a, a big, like, a summer camp for kids. Um, I, I ride with a guy that uh, is a professional and, and got us in there. And so we got to go use, like, the air, the, the you know, the foam pits and things like that to practice. And um, so that's what I've been doing recently. And what's really cool about it, more than anything, is it connects me back to my childhood. Um, and, like I said, what I was doing when I was, like, 12 and 13. Um, and uh, I'm able to, you know, I'm making, you know, many improvements improvements um as we go but i am able to progress in something and it's just fun it's just you know just having fun and uh, it's it's a piece of piece of time that i get to just you know forget about everything and be a kid again
0: yeah and it kind of ties back into what you were saying about the health portion versus the elite athlete portion would you have been able to do that when you were at the top of your game in powerlifting
1: no, absolutely not yeah. i probably would have tore a hamstring or you know you know, broken something based on how stiff i was
0: yeah so so that's that's another you know part for that you know understanding that taking taking it a notch down and understanding the longevity piece and the rest and recovery is if your body's working well why give me one reason why you can't do what you did when you were 12 or 13. I, there's things there's so many things i can do now that i couldn't do when i was a kid and i think that's another part This 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 impression of of aging, like I'm 45, or well, some people would say that was old. Well, my grandmother's 102, so you put that on a sliding scale. I'm not even middle age yet, you know. So to to kind of give up and say, oh, of course I'm on my blood pressure meds, and of course I put on the weight, you know, I, I'm I'm doing this now. I'm this age, and I loved seeing people reprogramming that whole philosophy and making not only women in power that we've seen a huge you know growth of through CrossFit and other sports. But also just older athletes and making them, you know, people realize, no, you absolutely can climb a rope at 60 years old and do handstand walks and ride BMX and, you know, go stand up paddle boarding and whatever it is. And, and just don't believe this, you know, life is done at 40, which so many people seem to.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, and that's that you said there, it's a belief, right? It's uh, it, the limits of our own mind. That's what holds us back. You you know, when you want to, you know, who's holding me back? Who's keeping me down? You in you, nobody else, not the government, you know, not, not any particular group of people like you're holding yourself back. You want me to prove it? I'll go give, I'll go find all the examples of the people who broke the mold. You know, that's, that's what you should be studying is is those people who've broken the mold. Um, You know, and, and and I'm sure in, you know, police and fire, uh, there's people who have broken the mold many, many times. Uh, Those are the guys we should put on the pedestal. Those are the guys we should be looking at, you know, um, and, and turning to.
0: Yeah, because like you said, they're they're just people too. They just made certain choices. Exactly. All right, so the very last question, where can people find you online if they want to reach out to you or follow you?
1: Yeah, so the easiest place is actually Facebook. It's just Facebook.com AJ Roberts, uh, or slash AJ Roberts, whatever. Um, I'm not that active on social media. mainly cuz i try to limit <laughs> limit that and uh, my screen time um, cuz i can go down some rabbit holes for sure um, but also you know uh, if you're interested in the business side of stuff you can go to ajroberts.com and uh, sign up for my newsletter there
0: fantastic well i want to say thank you so much it's been so much fun and that's what i love about podcasting i'm sure you found the same when you were in the barbell business but You just never know where it's going to go. And you can, I mean, I talked to Steffi Cohen about immigration and her amazing grandparents for like an hour until we were in the middle of her her, uh, powerlifting gym. So I really enjoy these conversations, but I appreciate you just being so generous with your time and reaching out to the community.
1: My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. And thanks for having me.